New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Suman Kunganti. He is a two-time venture-backed entrepreneur, AI enthusiast, and accessibility champion. He was included in Forbes's 40 Under 40 list and won Smithsonian's Top Innovator to Watch Award. He is the CEO of Personal AI, a company that is working to put AI into the hands of regular people to supercharge their memory and relationships using their own personal AI messenger. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Gabriela, nice to be here. Personal AI, your website headline is AI that's personally yours. Generative AI is typically trained through huge data sets. So without knowing me, how can an AI be personally mine? You said it. <laughs> General AI or generative AI or large language models are usually trained on large data sets. That large data sets usually come from you know, aggregating data from many different sources, specifically internet, because it's readily available. Personal AI are language models that is trained on your personal data, personal messages, personal thoughts, personal opinions, everything about oneself. The intention of personal AI is to be you so that it can actually draft responses for you, can think like you, can think with you, and draw your conclusions, your facts, and your opinions. Very similar to a large language model, but it is pretty much tuned or trained for personal data. You must have a sort of a starting place though, right? Where it, it, it builds off of a model because unless I'm missing something, I've always thought that you really, you have these two algorithms which are working against each other, testing and putting up information until it, it matches and feels natural. How long would it take to, to learn my voice? How much mm -hmm. data, I mean, or do I have to unleash it into my personal stuff, which I suppose then it would learn it really quickly, but that's uncomfortable for somebody who doesn't know the app. So how long does it take to learn my voice? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's the question is not about how long. It's about what you want your personal AI to learn about you. You could tell your personal AI one single fact. We call it a memory. And it will remember that memory. And it will be able to fetch that memory given in the context of you talking to yourself or somebody else asking you that question. Your AI can suggest you, you know, for you to respond with it. We use foundational general models which understands mostly the language, how the sentences are formed, things of that nature. But we are indeed spinning up an entire model for individual person, and they are designed to handle with small amounts of data. And mm. if the data doesn't exist, it does rely on large language mm. or even sometimes going outside to like large language models. But it will tell you specifically how personal a particular response is to you versus others. 
and you can configure it. You know, you may oh, choose. To, yeah, yeah, you may choose to go outside the bounds. You may not. Projecting into the future, do you see any ethical issues regarding AI and personal communication? Is it going to end up that my AI is going to talk to your AI, and it's actually this sidebar conversation that occurs somewhere to the left? Do you think you need to yeah, say this is an AI-generated message? I think it just comes back to the fundamental principles of what this company is all about. AI is an extension of you and you as an individual. So in our world, the AI represents a particular individual being and everything that is associated with the AI is in your control. What does it mean? Well, the data that you want your AI to be trained on is up to you. It's in your control, meaning we are not pre-training and then having pre-biases or pre-things about Gabriella or even going out to the internet and trying to mimic your thoughts for you. No, that's exactly the opposite. Okay. And there is attribution associated with each AI response, meaning when a response is constructed from your personal AI and the, and the model is called personal language model, mm. it has a score, let's call that score is like 70% or 80%, which represents how much that response as if are personal to Gabriella. Based so on, over time, yeah. it would that number gets higher. Right. I would presume just because the more you exactly. use it, the better, the better it gets. Where does it live? Does it live? Because people, if you think about all the different places in which people communicate, they email, they text, they DM on platforms. So where, where does personal AI exist? And does it piggyback onto these platforms or where, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So we started like talking of this fundamental base principles, right? Mm. So for that reason, any data that goes into your personal AI model, we call it a memory stack, which is kind of representation that this is everything, my memories and my thoughts, my experiences, my opinions, right. will live in something called a memory stack, which actually is owned. It belongs to the person. Ah, so in other okay, words, okay. Yeah. In other words, if it learns on something that later on you want it to unlearn, you have the choice. You have the full control. So currently, as you said, where does it live? It is a native application to begin with. Like a personal AI is a native application on your mobile or on your desktop. And any message that otherwise you normally communicate with others or to yourself. Remember like how sometimes we send a message to ourselves so that we don't forget. So any message that you send to yourself will be trained as well into your AI or any message that you send to other people will also be trained. And the intention of going with the native app is that is your starting point where people can communicate with you very similar to how they communicate with you on WhatsApp or iMessage. But in this case, it is continuously learning to be you and provide those suggestions that you would want to quick responses that is authentic to you in your voice using your knowledge and your facts, right? That's the reason why it's like an extension of you, not necessarily sort of a separate thing that people go to talk to. It's a human to human communication with AIs in the loop. Now, All right. so let me just, alluded, I just want to, can yeah. I just rephrase? So I, I make sure that it's abundantly clear who owns my conversations. I own my conversations, full stop. Mm-hmm. So if, if the thing that we're all used to is, you know, if you're not paying for it, you're the product and data is how every business makes money. What is the business model that allows me to own my conversation? So is it a subscription? 
Yeah, it is a subscription, although there is a free product. So if you think about owning the data versus the free product, right? So any social media platforms or any messaging platforms today that you are using for free, Hmm. they essentially aggregate the data and then use it for ad businesses and other things to make this model. So now that essentially the idea of like making the business, we are now switching it back to the people itself. In other words, you can use this platform for free, get your AI going. And once you get to a point where you are using your AI to suggest messages for you or, you know, potentially set yourself in the autopilot mode, which is like if you are a teacher and if you are constantly getting students asking the question, you can have your AI answer those messages or questions for you. Those are the interactions that you will go into a subscription model, meaning everybody gets a free personal AI forever. The data will be yours. Human communication is free. You can have certain number of AI interactions also for free, but there will be power users and the power users comes from communities, influencers, businesses, small businesses, clients and customers. There is a subscription associated with it. I see. But fundamentally, everybody owns their data. So given what you've laid out, it really depends on how I want to use the personal AI and how I want to grow the personal AI's capabilities. For instance, it could draft longer things. It could draft a LinkedIn post. If I give it access to all of my previous LinkedIn posts, it would have a sense of my tone, my voice, the things I'm interested in. Would it be able to suggest to generate content based on the news of the day? Would it do something like that? Could it do something like that? It could, but let's talk about the first part, which is suggesting and drafting things for you that you would want to do, such as LinkedIn posts, such as Facebook posts. It can do all that. So that is working with yourself or with your own AI to be able to do that. But mm-hmm. let's just say you work with a guy called Suman and Suman normally you know, asks you about your feedback and your opinions and what is on top of your mind. So I could also messages like, hey, Gabriela, what do you think about LinkedIn post today about, you know, the current trend of Silicon Valley bank issues? That <laughs> <on the stock. laughs> Just top of mind. Yes. Okay. Top of mind. Top of mind. Uh, then, yeah, then it will drop something, assuming you already expressed your opinion in somewhere else or to somebody. Okay. It, would, it would do that. Now, okay. you could do the same thing, similar things with chat GPT or open AI. But yeah. that's going to be general, meaning everybody will get the same response. In this case, right. it will be tracking response based on your mind. Right. Okay. So so we have this memory stack, which is mine, and it exists. Does it exist forever if I leave the service? What kind of data security and protection is there? If you think about people don't like sharing their TikTok feed because it reveals too much about them. So I imagine over time, I you wouldn't want your personal AI to be hacked. It would have a lot of personal things in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you should be definitely considering what's going on behind the scenes and who are the people building it and why should we trust it. Trust is the number one like foundational factor for this company. When we started this company almost three years ago, the idea of the memory stack, it's very personal. It's very private. It's like, it's my mind. It's my memory. Hang on. Why would I give to any company? You shouldn't. And that's the whole point. Hmm. So when I was talking about a memory stack is yours, there is no stack data that will be shared between any two people everybody will get their own memory stack and everybody will own their own memory stack. And we went as far as implementing privacy and security techniques to use blockchain 
to basically okay. give a key or a private key that actually resides on the blockchain to encrypt and decrypt your data. So the, it's, it's kind of like a hybrid system. And it's the beauty of like this whole core idea of like personal AI with ownership in mind. And we have chosen blockchain as a technology because we had a problem to solve, not necessarily, you know, yes, I'm passionate about blockchain, but, but, it, but I never start with technology is the first thing, you always start with the problem and then figure out what architecture and what technologies will support to solve the problem. And in this case, the problem is privacy, security, and ownership of the data for creating your own models. And right. there we go, it's AI and blockchain. Okay, I know enough about blockchain to be incredibly dangerous and misinformed. So here's some probably silly misinformed questions. Is there is there a gas fee for accessing the memory stack, no. you know, for the transactions? How do you verify what goes into the validation there? Yeah, so I think traditionally what blockchain is known for is the supporting of the financial transactions and systems and token mechanisms, which is not what we use blockchain for. We use blockchain for, you know, protecting the privacy of the data or basically giving asset ownership to a particular individual. So if you think about like NFT, for example, it's like one discrete or a static asset that has an ownership attached to it. Mm-hmm. In our case, the ownership idea is for content. Like it's not a individual, like a static thing. But we created this concept of memory stack, which is a digital asset, but that is continuously evolving. So in other words, no, there is no gas fee associated with it because primarily you're not like directly dealing with the transactions as such for the ownership of the data. Once you start thinking about... So is my memory stack one block? Part of the blockchain is the mutableness of any given block. And so with deleting information, a block that it is there, that's part of it, you can always see the whole history of something. So within this, is it is it my memory stack is one block or is it? So think about your memory stack as one block, meaning the data itself is residing on the cloud, but okay. to access the data and the ownership of the data, the key attached to it is residing the blockchain. So it goes all the way from your client machine to the server-side machine to be able to okay. essentially do anything or for the models to crunch the data. So if you choose to like leave the platform, you would essentially, you know, keep your private key for yourself and never give personal AI, you know, that key. And and the the technology, the specific technology that we use, the blockchain technology, it's called Oasis Labs. So Oasis Labs is is the blockchain provider, and they have a couple of products. One is called Parcel Product, which will allow a developer like ours, you know, we are focused on the AI to essentially drop their SDKs into our ecosystem to bridge between application layer and the blockchain layer that kind of exists. So it makes it easy for consumers not having to deal with the wallets as such, and they would abstract and we create the UX on top of it. So in a way for the consumer, they probably are unaware of like lots of things that typically we deal with, with the wallets and everything else, Right. but they will create an account which has a private key and people who would want to dig in, sure, they could dig in and they could go to OASIS Labs and remove access to personal AI and things of that nature. Okay. What about communication between my machine and the memory? Is it encrypted? You know, how private mm-hmm. is it? All through your key. Only if you have the key? Yeah, all through your key, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. The website indicates that I can use it for, for work emails. A lot of workplaces have NDAs. So again, that's, I guess, on me as the user in terms of how, how much I release into it? How? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's all user control, right? So the control is to the to the user. <laughs> so the right. Consumer. Okay. If you are a bad actor, you know, then there are right. bad actors who would switch the stuff out of it. 
but at the end of the day at the end of the day you are making the choices the individual consumer is making the choices whether it be the reasons of communicating with friends and family into a close group or if it is a community which is like a larger group but like a lot of thoughts and opinions and a debate or if it's in a team setting where it's very specific to a project or a group of people working on a project or customer client relationships and things of that nature so the 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 user experience is no different than your whatsapp or discord or slack where you can create groups you can create you can direct message with individual people like you can chat with them mm-hmm. and you can choose to expose parts of your personal ai like let's say team projects or your services for your clients or your you know personal facts and favorites and hobbies for your friends and family you can specifically choose you know which profile will make sense to provide your suggestions in what kind of setting because that's how you organize your groups and our lives and people around us. Okay, so another question again, this is drilling into the the privacy issue a little bit. Does anybody at uh, the company have uh, that you can't get into it then, right? So for instance, if you think about the Twitter files and the release of the Twitter files or what have you, that that all of these communications, which obviously mm-hmm. those are public communications, but still, or WhatsApp and then Facebook or Meta acquires them and then they start thinking, oh, yeah. well, maybe we'd like to do some yeah. stuff in here. So yeah, for those exact reasons, we remote ourselves out of the equation. I see. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so you would have to explicitly give permissions or access, very similar to how you would give access to your data for the models. You would give access to your data into your models to a human or to any other human for that matter. I see. Okay. So changing gears and thinking beyond workplace and speeding up sure. my email communications. I'm thinking about executive functioning, ADHD older parents, missing memories, Mm -hmm. cognition, time. My dad's 92. If he uses personal AI, could it get to a place where even after he he passes, I could get advice from him? Yeah. The core focus is actually not work-related. Okay. (laughs) It might sound sound counterintuitive, but productivity is definitely a key function and it could primarily benefit a lot, like saving time. Mm. But at the same time, it is not the only thing. We are a consumer-first product. Okay. We are driven by the principles of individual and individual benefit, individual control of their data, individual control of their lives. Okay. So to your point, all the examples that you wrote down are valid. Okay. And yes, we want this to be an asset or a digital asset that is owned by uh, individual people whether people want to use it for work that's absolutely fine too productivity reasons yeah you know it works fantastic but it's not it's not designed to be just like a productivity focused application it is designed to be an asset of one individual person that lives on the internet forever and will you know move from you know, one person to the other person in terms of who owns it i see Diving into one of those use cases, which was, I'm thinking, executive functioning, ADHD. A lot of adults are discovering they have suffered with undiagnosed ADD, and I'm wondering if personal AI could help them manage their tasks and keep them on track. You had mentioned earlier in our conversation how you send texts to yourself, don't forget to XYZ thing, don't forget, da, 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 da. Obviously, I don't, if I am bad at this, I don't want it to learn to be bad at it. I want it to teach me how to be better at it. So functionally, could it 
remind me or put things in the calendar, set alarms, as long as I ask it to once? Or how would that work? Or is that really an out, a sort of a dog leg use case that I'm going after here? I think you are still going after and stuck with the productivity use case, right? Okay, like all the things okay. Which is reminders, tasks, there are still like productivity uses. But think about this. If you ask a person about their particular knowledge or opinions or thoughts that is specific to those individuals, then you'll personalize the better use case. If it is reminders and tasks, eh, Siri and Alexa, they will solve those things better, better than we do. Not yes, that, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I enjoy doing mm-hmm. the thinking stuff. So I don't mm-hmm. want to outsource that piece. That's the part I like mm-hmm. doing. I want to outsource yeah. the stuff I don't enjoy. My dad, 92, I'd love for him to, all the stories, mm-hmm. all the things, Exactly. but then he would own it. So he would have to assign it to me as a family member. So that goes back to the interactions, how the interaction works on the application, right? Okay. So remember we were talking about it as like a WhatsApp application. So technically you can talk to your dad and ask stories. And if he would want to choose to respond to you, he would have his own AI drafting the responses that he can say yes to in a co-pilot mode, or he can choose to set it to an autopilot mode, meaning it will automatically respond to your messages, like when you ask anything or stories or anything of that sort. So think about think think about the facts, think about the knowledge, think about your opinions that revolve around one particular individual and being able to reuse that piece of information when you need and the need specifically focuses and centers around you know communicating with other people. And that's the reason why we opened up personal AI as a messaging application, a chat application that is much more easy to comprehend in terms of both saving your memories, recalling your memories, but also, you know, identifying a particular use when other people, you know, talk to you, communicate with you. And, you know, a while ago, you asked one more question about like iMessage, WhatsApp and other things. It does integrate into those parts of your messaging applications as well. Either it be learning from it or potentially in the future, you know, when a text message comes to you in the iMessage, your personal AI will still be able to provide it's a suggestion you know, within your iMessage application. So I think that's a little bit more work in terms of integrations, but technically it could draft responses on your behalf. Right. Do you think it should, again, going to the ethics question, do you think it should inform the recipient that it was drafted? Mm-hmm. Or- yes, so it should. I think it is. it should, but I also think it should be the person's choice. For example, by default, we if... In, if it's in the autopilot, we communicate, the application communicate to the other person that it is coming from their personal AI, right? Okay. Uh, we were debating if that becomes a choice of that person, meaning would they want to... Well, right, uh, because it then it's going to yeah. look disrespectful, even if it's just arranging where you're going to have coffee, it feels like my people are getting in touch with you, not me. It's a layer of... So I can exactly. see where you might not want that because. Yeah. <sighs> and right now it is a, right now it is the co-pilot mode we call them. So co-pilot as in, it will only draft the response and, and wait for you to take an action, meaning you can simply swipe right to send that message. So I it see. is still helping in the moment and you are in full control and you are sending the message, right? Because. Right. Yeah, right. Because sure. you have read it, you have thought it through. It's your exactly. message. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So that's the first option, which is a default option, co-pilot. The idea of the autopilot is for, let's say, you have thousands of people talking to you simultaneously because 
you're an influencer or you're a professor or you're a coach, you're a consultant, you have a bunch of different clients and, and for, for them, but you still have a brand, you have a personal brand that the individual person can choose to set some people in the autopilot mode based on how much they trust, based on the use case, based on what kind of relationship that exists between two people. Right. That also seems like efficiency based, right? Yeah, sure. That's like a 24-7 efficiency based and, you know, you know, I don't have time or people don't have access to me and it is okay for me to go into that mode. But for sure, yeah, it definitely goes into the efficiency mode. So time so, savings is, when I say it's not like productivity related, doesn't mean that it is not helping you save time. It's okay. just that... It's not just about reminders. I think it's probably my point. <laughs> right. No, I, 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 that was just a one particular type of use case. I, I'm more thinking, you know, cover letters or social media posts, especially if you're yeah. a small business and that isn't what you do, but you need to do them. And so this could really free up your time to do the things that you really want to focus on is sort of make by decisions. What are the ethical rules? What do you need to do? It's a new brand new world. Isaac Asimov had three laws of robotics that would help ensure that robots weren't going to be dangerous to people. Do you believe there are, and this is backing up not just for personal AI, but AI, generative AI in general, do you believe that there are any sort of rules that should be agreed or applied? Oh, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, do share, please. <laughs> So right now we had large language models, you know, different sort of use cases and which which is good. It serves the utility and you can get through some of the activities like seeking knowledge or seeking information on the internet. It's great. But I think one of the one of the missing pieces is the attribution. The attribution of the response has to go back to what is a fundamental source. If you think about Google search today, essentially find a piece of information and you go to a piece of information and then you're trying to synthesize multiple different things and coming up with your own ways or thoughts. Right. And right now, a general model is doing it, but unfortunately, you're essentially seeking all the data that is contributed by many different people, but it doesn't have any attribution. So I think one of my key principles to do right with the AI is the AI responses should be attributed back to the owners and the individuals and the contributors of it. So I yeah. think that's the first thing. Yeah. And the second thing is, I think the idea of AI has been pushed into this holy grail that, that the more data is, is better. Mm-hmm. Technically, that's not entirely true. Oh, you okay. have techniques and you can create models that could work or function within one data purpose, meaning it's about the intent of the use case of what a particular AI has to do and not necessarily how much data it is needed to address like a specific thing. If it is specific enough, then you are able to use AI techniques to fall within the data purpose. So I think that's kind of important to understand large data or aggregating the data doesn't necessarily mean it's good AI. Right. So, so it's an awareness of how how it works. So, yeah, the perception of it is yeah, perception of it is like a little bit off. Right. In the right. specific. And then finally, it just comes down to the personal nature of what personal AI is, which is the ownership of the data. I think we have experienced the beauty of what internet will do in terms of you know staying in touch, communicating with each other, and we have used apps and platforms to be able to do that. And by doing it, we have, you know, put up information and content out there and uh, we agree to terms of services and all this data sits on servers. There is encryption, there is privacy of the data, but then there is the ownership of data, right? Those are two different things. 
So when you think about ownership of the data, if you do not own all the things or elements of your life, you're essentially adding or aggregating value to your platform and do not have control over your own life. So the way I see the future is you have your personal AI and all the data that is probably segregated into many different platforms today between big tech and small tech. Like technically, what is your data asset? I don't know, probably something that you save in your phone. And even that is not yours. This is one of the things that people want blockchain to help create is this future where you own your data, your medical Mm -hmm. records, your AI, your stuff that you are the controller of who you are. The challenging part with the blockchain by just saying you should own your data is that you need to own your data, but you need to figure out how to extract the same kind of utility that the big tech has given us, right? Right. And and that's our angle. You need to solve for the utility first with the right principles, which is your data ownership. If you just push forward a piece of technology to own the data, who will take care of the utility? Because we are first utility centered people. If we own a house, but it's not giving us proper shelter, why do we want to own the house? Like it doesn't really matter. Well, uh, this is this is one of the conundrums. There are vested interests who are not going to help build it because they have interest in it not existing. And then the, the governance structure, upkeep, maintenance, all of that. We've just started to scratch the surface. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Gabriella. We've reached the end of another episode. Up next, I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Norton, the voice of Recorder.Open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.